we are picking up here on Esther part 8 and I'm going to kind of just take a little side trail to go through what I think is a very important doctrine based on what we see here in Esther. And some of you may not agree with this, that's fine if you don't, but I am going to challenge you to look at what scripture says and I think you're going to see that uh, when we look at what's called dual covenant theology today, now, if you have not been studying Esther with us here before, um, you can get it on Patreon. Uh, that's where you can get it. And anybody listening here, patreon.com forward slash creation instruction. But dual covenant theology basically says this, that there is a different way of Christianity, a different set of rules for the modern church today than there was for Israel or the Jews. Okay, now... Uh, I, somebody had said before, how is that different from uh, replacement theology? Well, it's kind of connected, but it's a little different. Replacement theology is saying that we as a church have replaced Israel. This is saying you've got two covenants. I'm saying there is absolutely only one covenant, and it is for the Jew. And we, as Gentiles, have been grafted in to that same covenant. Not two covenants, one covenant. There is no covenant for the Gentiles that the Jews get to be a part of. It's a covenant that we get to be a part of, of the Jews. It was given to Abraham. And this is why we see throughout Scripture, it says the God of Abraham. After the God of Abraham, it becomes the God of Abraham and Isaac. And then we see the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then after that, he's called the God of Israel. We never hear him called the God of the church, the God of the Gentiles, necessarily. It's, it's, the covenant has always been that. Now, I think you're going to see as we go through. Now, the whole reason that we were talking about this was because of Esther. We see, and I thought I put it in here. I, I can't remember, but maybe it'll come up. But in Esther, we see that when the, the Persians had realized the tables had been turned, it said, and many others became Jews. That's what it said there in Esther. You know, many others became Jews. What, did they just take on the culture? What was it? Were they just scared and kind of pretending? I don't think so. As you've seen, as we've been going through Esther, um, yeah, this is going to be a different one, but that is Galatians 2, yeah. So what we see, though, is as we've been going through the book of Esther, we see this is very prophetic. All through, we've seen prophecy after prophecy of a picture of the church, and then finally, it kind of almost ends by saying, and many became Jews. So it follows that prophetic picture. So if you haven't been listening to Esther, I, I really encourage you to go back and, and listen to these, because... Um, I think it's absolutely incredible. So in Galatians 12, or 2, I see what you're saying. I have 12 there. Galatians 2, verse 11 says, When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Paul is talking here. He says, because he stood condemned. Talking about Peter. That's who Cephas is. Now, for those who think Peter was the first pope, 
you might have a little problem here then because according to them then Peter the first pope should be infallible and without error but we see that Cephas was not without order or error here it says for before certain men came from James he used to eat with the Gentiles but when they arrived he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. What I want you to see is that Satan's goal has always been to keep you separated, to keep Jews and Gentiles separated. Satan was trying to get Cephas to do that same thing here. And Paul is going to say, no, that's not going to happen. Because what Yeshua Jesus wanted was to bring them and make them one. The Gentiles seem to run from the law today, I would say. We almost consider it a merit to not obey God, because I'm free in Christ. And so we, we almost see that it's like a trophy of ours to be able to say, I'm not under the law, I'm not under the law. And yet at the same time, we see the Jews today seem to be running away from Jesus. Which is kind of interesting. We both are running in the wrong direction. Both are wrong. Because this topic shapes our theology so much, we have to look at this in greater detail. And that's why I'm kind of going down this trail off of that one verse, many became Jews here in Esther. So we're going to take you to Romans. Romans chapter 11, verse 16. When we talk about this first fruits and the root that I have here in blue, I want you to understand that that is a reference to Jesus, the Messiah, the, the anointed one, the Mashiach. It says, if the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, Jesus is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, that's talking about Gentiles here. The you, a wild olive shoot, that's a Gentile. Have been grafted in among the others, in other words, among the Jews, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, Jesus. Who did Jesus come for? The Jew. I have only come for the lost sheep of Israel, Jesus' own words. You see, Jesus is the root. The covenant was for them, and now he's grafting you in to that promise of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob grafted them in among the others, and now share in the same nourishing sap from the olive root. Do not consider yourself to be superior, you Gentiles, to those other branches, to those Jews. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root. The root supports you. You will say then, well, branches were broken off. The Jews, they were cut off. So that you could be grafted in. But then it goes on and it says, <clears throat> um, granted, yes, but they were broken off because of unbelief. These Jews <clears throat> indeed 
were broken off. But he goes on to say, do not, or he says, they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. It's going to continue, and it says this. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, the Jews. But kindness to you, Gentiles, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. If they do not persist in unbelief, which they won't, they will be grafted in. Grafted into what? The same root. Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, the one you're grafted into. For God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? It's their own. There are so many verses that we could look at. What advantage is there? I think in Romans 3. What advantage is there in being a Jew? Much in every way. For they have been entrusted with the very words of God. Theirs is the covenant. Theirs the divine glory. Theirs the temple worship. It's theirs. We have been grafted into them. I mean, this is everywhere in Scripture, and you're going to see that as we continue. It picks up in verse 25. He says to you Gentiles, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Don't boast. He says, Israel has experienced a hardening in part. Absolutely. Until. means for a short time. For a time. Until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Now, keep in mind, without me going too far down this road again, remember we talked about the ten tribes of Ephraim? Way back in Genesis 49, it was prophesied that Ephraim would become a multitude of nations, or literally a multitude of goyim, a multitude of Gentiles. It was prophesied that that would happen. And so, when Rehoboam, Solomon's son, kind of screwed up, basically, we see ten tribes left the other two tribes of Israel for the most part. And those ten tribes later became Gentiles, Samaritans and all of that. So when Jesus comes, he says, I've come for the lost sheep of Israel. Those ten tribes he wants back. And in part, that's what this is saying, in this way all Israel will be saved. He has to go to the Gentiles in order to get the lost sheep back. Does that mean, as I have heard some teach, that if you are a believer in Yeshua, Jesus, that you must be a Jew or one of these lost sheep. I don't believe so. Because you're still grafted in. You're still a wild olive shoot. Rahab was a wild olive shoot. Ruth was a wild olive shoot. So it's not like this is foreign. But let me tell you this. The covenant has always been for the Jew. Just even driving back here tonight, I was listening to Luke, and 
it just dawned on me that John the Baptist had, had uh, rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because he had uh, taken his brother's wife and he rebuked him. And as a result, Herod hated John the Baptist and had him arrested. And it dawned on me, oh yeah, why? Because you see, you never see Jews rebuking the Gentiles prior to Christ. Why? Hey, you're Gentiles. The gospel, the Messiah, it's for us. But remember what Herod was? Herod Antipas, the one who killed John the Baptist, was a Jew. He was a Jew. And that is why John the Baptist is rebuking Herod. Because he was a Jew. You know better. You see, that the commandments were given to you. Prior to Yeshua, Jesus... For the most part, the commandments had absolutely nothing to do with the Gentiles. They weren't for the Philistines. They weren't for the Canaanites or the Moabites. They were for Israel. They made Israel a treasured possession, a special people, as Deuteronomy says. Those laws set them apart from every other nation. What sets you apart from every other nation today? Well, those same laws, Yeshua, Jesus the living Torah, in a sense, right? Romans 2.17 says, Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know His will, you know His word, you approve of what is superior, because you are instructed by the law. He's talking to these Jews who know the Bible, who are obeying the law. Well, it's kind of interesting as this verse continues that we're going we're gonna to see more as we go, but first I want you to see that this Jew was given this law. It was special for them. You know what is superior. You have been instructed by this law, right? Well, the devil loves to see a Jew running away from their Jewish Messiah. Loves it. And he loves to see the Gentile running away from the cultivated olive tree. He lo they love to see him running away from the law. That's what the devil wants. So as we're going to go here to verse 23, or uh, continue on in this verse here in a moment, you're going to see... That he says, if you call yourself a Jew and you know all of these things, then even if you're obeying the law and you don't know Jesus, the Messiah, you're not a Jew. Now we've talked about this here before. If you are a Jew today, as I see these people walking downtown with their tzitzits and their black robes and whatnot, if you see them and they don't know Jesus, that's not a Jew. I know that our culture calls them a Jew, but Jesus doesn't call them a Jew. He says, you're not a Jew. And that's what this is going to continue to say. You think you're a Jew because you've been instructed by the law. You think you are a Jew because you know his will and approve of what is superior. But you've denied your Messiah. You're not a Jew. Because a Jew is of the faith of Abraham who believed in the coming Messiah, who had faith in that. If you go there, I don't have it on here, but in, in Romans 2, 17, if you jump to verse 23, it's going to say this. 
You who boast about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? And it goes on and it says that the Gentiles blaspheme God because of you. Because they broke the law. Which is kind of interesting. Um, Romans 2 outlines what sets a Jew apart. What it means to be Jewish. And I'd really encourage you to go look at Romans 2 in greater detail later. We just can't do all of that tonight. But it shows you what it truly means to be Jewish. So, the question is, should we not know the tree that we are grafted into? If you are a wild olive shoot and you are grafted in to a root, to a natural you know, tree, shouldn't we know what that tree is? If you're grafted into it? I think so. And I think it shouldn't look any different once you're grafted in. Right. It, yeah, the tree doesn't change. You are just an added branch to it. There should be no separation between you and No, there should be no separation. It's one tree, not two trees. And it's kind of like what we said before in other teachings. If I adopt a Chinese child, I don't become Chinese and then, you know, take on the Chinese culture. They take on my culture. We have been adopted and we take on God's culture. That's what the true Jewish culture is, is God's culture. It's not a Jewish thing, it's a biblical thing. That's what I say all the time with the festivals. These aren't Jewish festivals, they're the Lord's festivals. That's what they're called in Scripture. And so it is the culture of Jesus, or the Word of God. So how do we know God's will, according to this in Romans 2? By being instructed by the Word. This is something that I think most churches in the world today have forgotten. How do you know what's right, what's wrong? How do you know God's will? By being instructed by the Word of God. If you don't know the Word of God, then it's your own opinions. Yeah, well, a lot of people will do that. Honestly, that's, the, that's how a lot of the cultural Jews have been screwed up. It's the same way that has happened in Catholicism. I have witnessed with Catholics, and I mean, I have the best biblical arguments, and it makes no difference. Why? Well, because their priest says that's not what it means. I have witnessed with cultural Jews, and it makes no difference. I'll take them to Psalm 22 or Isaiah 53, and I'll say, look, Psalm 22 talks about his tongue being stuck to his mouth. It's so dry that his bones are out of joint. That he's been pierced. His hands and feet are pierced. And you go, who is that? I mean, that sounds like Yeshua to me. And they're like, Joseph. Right, well, that's what the rabbis teach me. Both cultural Jews and Catholics have put more faith in the teaching of the church than the teaching of God's word is what has happened. What's that? Christians? Well, honestly, yeah, you could say just about any denomination. I grew up in a Lutheran church where that was, you know, well, everything that came into me had to be filtered through a Lutheran perspective. Not necessarily a biblical one, but a Lutheran theological one. 
And maybe some of you have grown up in other denominations that do the same thing. So, anyway, what I want you to see <clears throat> is that, yes, it's one tree that we're looking at here. So, I want to show you that this makes the Jew unique, having this law. That you have been instructed by this law. This is what made them special. Deuteronomy 26.18, The Lord has declared this day that you are His people, His treasured possession as He promised, and that you are to keep all His commands. So to be special, to be His people, means keep His commands. Is it any different for us today? Jesus said, if you love me, do what I say. If you say you love me, and you do not keep my commands, the truth is not in you. It's no different, is it? I am his special people. Why? His commands make me special. Now, I realize in faith, okay, we're not talking works righteousness here. But if we're grafted in, we should obey as well. Obey the root. Here's another scripture to illustrate God's care for his people. Deuteronomy 4.32, Ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created human beings on the earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire, as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take, him, take for himself one nation out of another nation? by testings, by signs and wonders. Notice, don't, don't skip that, testings. Don't kid yourself. God wants to see how you're going to respond to the gospel. We've said this a number of times. When they left Egypt, the Israelites, they had been redeemed by the Passover lamb, a picture of Jesus. And then he takes them out into the wilderness and says, all right, I redeemed you, now I'm going to test you. Here are my commandments. Are you going to follow me or not? It's the same with Jesus. Now that we have been saved, he says, all right, will you follow me or will you not? No different. The pattern's been the same, always. It goes on. Um by signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds, like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. Again, he is speaking through his word, which is a special gift to those who are following him only. I said it before, but it just applies here again in a chosen that is on TV. I love that line when whatever somebody's coming up and, and Yeshua says, to those who follow me, my father expects much, but to those who do not follow me, he expects little. He expects much from those who follow him because he has given you a special gift. Don't trample on the blood of Jesus. Verse 35 of Deuteronomy 4 says, You were shown these things. Why? Why were you shown all these laws, these special things? So that you might know the Lord is God. 
Besides him, there is no other. From heaven he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words from out of the fire. Why did God give the instructions, the commands, to ruin their fun? Be a party pooper? No. <laughs> because he wanted them to know him. Guys, it is absolutely no different today. I don't try to keep the commandments of God so that I can get to heaven. I can't. I am awful. I am rotten to the core. I keep the commands of God because I want to know him. And when we follow him, we know him. And the more we know him, the more we love him. That is where the church has gone wrong, is we've made the law what it was never intended to be, a means of righteousness. The law is a special gift of God that helps us to know him more. I'm going to take you back to Romans to see what it looks like if we break this law. Chapter 2 again, verse 23 says, You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? This is in reference to what we were talking about before. You who call yourself a Jew. You, you boast about the law. You approve of what is superior because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourselves? You who say to people, do not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery. Do you, or, and, and do not steal, do you rob temples, he says, I guess. It goes on, and it says, As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Who's the you? You who reject the law. Well, when you break the covenant of God, the, the covenant he made with us, what, is, what, what do we do? We blaspheme him. We think of blaspheme as some like magical word of denying the Holy Spirit. Only. Let me tell you something. Scriptural evidence, and not just here, blasphemy is disobedience to the law of God. You know, there's one unforgivable sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, right? We think that there's maybe like that one little phrase that you say, maybe. I remember being scared to death that I had blasphemed God. I've told you before when I was just really depressed in high school and, you know, really much suicidal. And I literally, and I don't even like saying this out loud, but I literally told God to go to hell and leave me alone. And I thought, when I repented of that, I thought, did I commit a blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I, I, I told him where to go. I mean, how, how much more could, could you blaspheme? But you see, blaspheming the Holy Spirit is this, not listening to that Spirit so that you, not, you don't walk in the Spirit. You're living in disobedience. So when God redeems us, when He saves us like this, and then we don't listen to Him? How rude, right? I mean, this is what we said in, when we studied Hebrews. Remember what it said? It said that, how much more, if we've witnessed all of these things and then you trample on the blood of Jesus, no sacrifice for sins is left. If you're an ungodly person and you live in disobedience, that's one thing. But now that you've tasted that heavenly gift and you trample on the blood, 
Woe is you. It's a step up now that you know what Jesus has done for you. Verse 25, circumcision, same chapter here, same context. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you become as though you had not been circumcised. Now keep in mind, as you read Galatians or Romans, when we talk about there was the circumcision and the non-uncircumcised, the circumcision group were Jews. Okay? At that point, cultural Jews of what we would say today. Okay? The uncircumcised were the Gentiles. Note what he's saying. If you break the law, what do you become? A Gentile. It's really what he's saying. If you break the law, you become as if you had not been circumcised. You become a Gentile. Do you still want to be a Gentile? Or are we grafted in and have we, now like as we saw in the book of Esther, become Jews because of the covenant? Verse 26 says, So then, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements. So, if the Gentiles keep the law, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? Will you not be regarded as if you were a Jew? This is what we're talking about here. There are Jewish people reading this letter right now going, ugh, 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 like, yeah. hey, it's, boy, Because to them, Gentiles, you guys are just nasty. They don't... You, the Messiah is not for you because they don't know Jesus. And that's why. But yeah, this is the consistent message that we see all through Scripture. But we haven't been taught this in modern churches today. Verse 27. The one who is not circumcised physically, in other words, a Gentile, and yet obeys the law will condemn you who even though you have the written code, the law, and circumcision, are a law breaker. A person is not a Jew who is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. We've already said Jacob and Esau both were genetic DNA Jews but only one was considered a Jew because he was one inwardly, Jacob. Ishmael and Isaac, both were genetic DNA Jews, but only one was considered a Jew inwardly. You see, your DNA isn't what makes you a Jew. What makes you a Jew is the faith of Abraham. That's what we're seeing in Esther. It says, it goes on, Circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. In other words, the law can't make you circumcised in the heart. The law can never make you righteous. Yeah. Here's an interesting question on that line. We've discussed the two people groups that, as you said, are running the wrong way in opposite directions. The cultural Jew that here's the law that denies Christ and the modern Christian that denies everything 
of Jewish culture or accepts Christ, who then is more Jewish according to this definition? I'm going to kind of give you the answer in one of Jesus' parables. Remember he talked about the father goes to the son and says, do this, and the one son says, okay, and he doesn't do it. The other son says, no, and he goes and does it. Which one did what the father wanted him to do? The one who does it. That simple. So, without Messiah, without Jesus, there is no being a Jew. No matter what your DNA is. So we just go around saying, hi, my name's Kristen, and I'm from Hastings, and I'm a Jew. If you would like to, just don't tell them you come out here to Bible study, okay? <laughs> but anyway, point being again, Gentiles become Jews in following God. They don't follow God. Those, or I should say those that don't follow God are not Jews, and they are not saved. It's that simple. And by the way, her little comment is because of a little video we showed when we did Purim out here. So in case you're wondering, she's weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's also true. Yeah. yeah, you might be right, but that's why. Right? 100% So what does it look like when Gentiles become Jews? I'm going to just show you here, just in Scripture, again, this is the one that I keep referring to. In chapter 8, verse 17, it said, And many people of other nationalities became Jews. Why? Because fear of the Jews had seized them. Now, you can look at this and say, okay, well, they weren't really spiritual Jews. Keep in mind the whole prophetic picture we've seen through this book of Esther this is the fear of God that's in them. That's at least the picture that is shown. Ephesians 2 says this, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Again, consistency. Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, all over the place this uncircumcised, we're really not talking about the physical circumcision. Yeah, sorry for the... So, it says, remember that at that time, you, you Gentiles, were separate from Christ. Excluded from citizen ship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants. You see, before Jesus, guys, you were foreigners to the covenants. Remember I said the law, the Philistines, it wasn't for them. It wasn't for the Canaanites. It wasn't for the Gentile. The only way it could be for you is if by some reason God draw, drew you somehow, like Rahab or Ruth, or some of those Egyptians that left Egypt. We see in Exodus it says, if, and I think it might be coming up, but if any foreigner would keep the covenant, keep the Passover, they were to be considered native-born Israel. That's in the book of Exodus. So it says, 
They were excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. Boy, you want to talk about empty and dark. But now, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away, foreigners to the citizenship of heaven, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. All throughout history, since time began, there have been two people, Jews and Gentiles, circumcised and uncircumcised. Remember David when he met Goliath? He said, he goes up to him and he says, you know, like, who are you, you uncircumcised Philistine? As if it was some swear word, you uncircumcised dog. That's what it meant. You were a foreigner. You were foreign to the, the covenant. It is, but think of it, when you really understand what that means, that is the insult of all insults. You're going to hell. You're damned to hell. So this is defining what it means to be a Gentile, one who is outside the covenant, without hope, without God. That's what a Gentile is defined as scripturally. Now verse 13, though, as I said, gives us that hope because of Christ the Gentiles are brought near. Verse 14 of Ephesians 2, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups. What two groups? The Jew and the Gentile. The circumcised, the uncircumcised. He has dis he's made them one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now what amazes me about this is do you know what I see most churches telling me this means? You probably heard it. What, is, what did he destroy? The dividing wall of hostility. The law. That Jesus came, destroyed the law, and that is what was the dividing wall of hostility between the Jew and the Gentile. No. That is so inconsistent with the entire New Testament and the entire Old Testament, and we're going to show you that. But that is how this is often interpreted. Daniel Joseph kind of used an example of the Berlin Wall. And the Berlin Wall, what happened is that they sold propaganda, you might say, on the east side, the Soviet Union, that this wall was needed to protect you from the other side. Well, in reality, what it was really doing was making them a prisoner and locking them in. This is what Paul is conveying here in this wall of hostility. Many in the church today are saying, you see, this law is actually, you know, keeping you safe by not going to that side, not going to that Jewish side in a sense, so that you, you know, because that's dangerous. But in reality, what it's done is it locked us into a prison of not knowing who God is. Because, again, why was the law given? So that you may know me. That's how you know God, his word. Um, we're going to see that, basically. I think it's, yeah, we'll, we'll be seeing it. So, 
what Je Jesus has done is going to be taking down this wall we'll talk about giving us true freedom. I don't know if you ever remember seeing the Berlin Wall come down, the, the joy that those people had because they were free. Verse 15 of Ephesians 2 says, By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And so this is why so many in the church to say, ah, the law, he set aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. So the law is now gone. Not at all. What is he saying here? If that's the case, then we've got to throw the rest of the book of Romans away because Paul says, do we then nullify the law? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. He says, is the law bad? Certainly not. He says, the law is holy, righteous, and good. So, if he got rid of the law, we have contradictions everywhere in the rest of the Bible. So that can't be what this is saying. What is he saying? Well, he's saying the same thing that Romans also says, that there is now no condemnation for those who are under the law. Jesus got rid of the condemnation of the law. He got rid of the penalty by being a propitiation for us, by stepping in, becoming a curse for us. Because the law without Christ kills you. It's what Romans says. Okay, he says before, uh, got to get it in the right spot, but basically he says when the commandments came, sin sprang to life and I died. The very commandments, he says, brought death. This is before he says it's a good thing. See, there's just such a, this is why that the other disciples, I don't remember if it was Peter or Timothy, he says, Paul, he, his teachings, are many of them are hard to understand, and people use them to lead people astray. I think that's what's happened, is people have taken Paul out of context, and we've got to be careful. Take it in con, you know, connection with the whole book, not just an isolated verse. Um, ultimately, it all depends on your bias, how you read this. Our bias has to be scripture. If your bias is what you've grown up with your whole life, oh, the law is bad, it's over with, I can see where you get that. I totally get it. But if your bias is going to be just scripture, and using scripture to interpret scripture, you go, oh, no, 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 no. It can't mean that because then there's a contradiction in scripture. It can't mean that because Paul is saying it's good and all of these things. Timothy says it's good. Revelation, I mean, every book, James, John, 1st John, 2nd John, 3rd John, all of them, it would be a contradiction. Remember that there was a distinction between a Jew and a Gentile. As Deuteronomy 23:19 shows, you shall not charge interest to your brother, interest on money or food or anything that is lent out in interest. However, to a foreigner, to a Gentile, you may charge interest. But 
to your brother, you shall not charge interest that the Lord your God may bless you in all to which you set your hand in the land which you are entering to possess. In the Old Testament, it was always there. We always see this distinction between Jew and Gentile. Unless you came and you obeyed the law, you kept the Passover, then you were considered as native-born Israel. You weren't allowed to charge them interest anymore. Let me go on. Deuteronomy 14.21 You shall not eat anything that dies of itself. You may give it to the alien who is within your gates that he may eat it though. So you as a Jew, you can't eat it. Gentiles can. Exodus 12.43 The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it. You know, today, Corinthians talks about in communion. He says, you shouldn't take communion unless you first examine yourself. Because, he says, if you are not recognizing the body and blood of Jesus, when you take communion, you eat and drink to your own damnation. That's not my word, that's scripture. Passover is a picture of that. There has always been a distinction between Jew and Gentile, saved and unsaved, circumcised and uncircumcised. Can you see this dividing wall that's there? Ephesians 2.11, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcision, we've kind of looked at this, I wanted to go back again, by those who call themselves a circumcision which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world, but now in Christ you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And now it continues. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and to those who were near, for through him we both circumcised, uncircumcised, Jews, Gentiles, have access by one spirit to the Father. Not two spirits, one spirit. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers, foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The wall has come down. What is that wall? It is a separation of a covenant for one group of people. And he has opened that up, so now you have freedom to go to the other side. You have freedom to join Israel. You're even being called to join Israel. So when Esther says that many became Jews, as I said, it's prophetic of the unity that God said he was going to do. He talks about it in Hosea. I will call them who is not my people. I will call them my people. I will say, you are not my loved one. You will be called my loved one. You who are called uncircumcised are going to be called circumcised because of Jesus Christ. Nowhere in the Bible, though, do we see Gentiles 
getting their own doctrine, their own set of rules. Yeah, no. They join or are grafted into the Jewish covenant. There is no gate in the book of Revelation for foreigners. It is the tribes of Israel. And the only way to go through the gate is to go through your gate. So you have to be grafted in. You're no longer a stranger. You're no longer a foreigner. Um, I, you know, speaking of Ruth, remember Orpah. Orpah, what did she do? She went back to her people. But Ruth says, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Okay? What have we done today? You Jews, your people... No, that's not... No, 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 no. I, I'll be my own people. I'm my own. That's not the picture of Ruth. That's not the picture of anything in Scripture. That's just the picture of modern-day culture. Zechariah 8.23. We've mentioned this before, too. But Zechariah 8 is talking about an end-time prophecy. And it says that in the last days of the end times, ten Gentiles will come and take hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, take us with you, for we have heard that God is with you. I think we're starting to see that happen in the world, frankly. I just have to, I know that you guys have heard this a thousand times, but I have to say it each time, and I'm going to, so you're going to just have to put up with it, but we're not talking about obeying the law to become a good Christian. We're not talking about the, obeying the law to even become a Christian. You can't. Let me tell you, these Jews that you see walking down the street, they keep the law way better than any of you. I guarantee it. They're not saved. They're not saved at all because they don't have Yeshua. That's the dividing wall. That is what makes you and grafts you in to the root. In Romans, it goes on and it says, so those who pursued the law of righteousness, but they didn't obtain it, why not? Because they pursued it as if it were by works, not by grace. In other words, they pursued righteousness by being good enough. You'll never get there. I think maybe I said it last week. I said it to somebody here recently. I've never been more free in my life than I have since I've been wanting to follow the law of God. I used to want to follow the law of God because I thought that made me a good Christian, the whole Latter-day Saint, L-A-D-D-E-R. When I stop swearing, then I'm going to be a good Christian. When I stop losing my temper... Then I'll be a good Christian. And then you kind of, you know, get those a little bit under control, never completely gone, of course. When I stop, have lustful eyes, then I'll be a good Christian. When I be a better father, then I'll be... Oh, let me, let me tell you, I'm just now, I'm, I'm higher up the rung, but I can't even see the top of it. Now it's like, man, when I stop being so stinking greedy, when I stop being so selfish, when I stop, you know, being so whiny... I mean, my list could go on and on and on. You will never, ever reach the top of that. It's Jesus. It is only Him. What I'm saying is, is obedience 
is our form of worship. In Romans, that verse that we've been, if you go look at it, and it says that we will offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. For this is your spiritual act of worship. I've said it before, but in church we often look at worship. We call it leading worship. That is not worship. That's praise. Go look up worship in the Bible everywhere. When people worship God, you know what they do? Fall flat on their face. They praise God and they worship God. I'm not saying it's bad, it's no big deal, but it's, I think it's good to make that distinction. Because I think that we feel that somehow, even when we go and praise God and feel warm and fuzzy, that, I don't know, we're Christians or something. I don't know. But I don't know why it was going to go on there. Now it left me, so I'll just forget it. Ruth 1.16, For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. That is what we should be saying today. In chapter 2, verse 10, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, Ruth says, since I am a foreigner, I'm a Gentile. And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Remember that I've talked about that word wings here before? I don't know for sure if this is that kanaf in the Greek or that tzitzit. I need to go look at that. I should have, it didn't dawn on me until now. But if so, that's talking about the laws of God right there too. Yeah, and, and I need to go look and see what, if that's wings like an eagle or if that's wings as in tzitzit, the commandments of God. But anyway, um, Boaz is a Christ figure, just like Mordecai here has been in the book of Esther. And it's that same exact picture that we're seeing, that here's a foreigner becoming a Jew. One of another na nationality becoming a Jew. Why should we, as foreigners, receive favor and grace from God? Yeah. It's kanaf? Okay. That means it's the tzitzit. That means it's the commandments of God. Kanaf is that tassel that was attached, which was called the wings. I've said this before, but maybe for some of you newer ones here, when that woman who has been bleeding for 12 years goes and grabs onto the hem of Jesus' robe, the word is kanaf there. It is literally the tzitzits. You go and look at the tzitzits in the Old Testament, those were given to remember the commandments of God. Malachi closes out the Old Testament by saying that the Messiah would bring healing in his wings, his tzitzits, those little tassels. 
And so when that woman is grabbing on to the tassels, it's a picture of grabbing on to the commandments, but it's also her faith that she believed that Jesus was the Messiah. That's what she was expressing there. Because I believe in Malachi. Malachi says when the Messiah, the, the Son of Righteousness comes, He will bring healing in His seat seats, in His tassels. So if I can only touch His tassel, I'll be saved. So it was her faith that saved her. It wasn't the robe. It was her faith. And so that being the case, thank you, Tosh, we see then that it's the same thing, that the God of Israel under whose wings that tassel representing the commandments of God, you have come for refuge. So that's a great picture. It's a really good picture of her abandoning everything before to follow yeah. said laws. Because she would have been protected under her mother and father's house for a new husband or whatever, right? Yeah. Like, had she stayed. But yeah. she abandoned it all. She gave up. It's kind of like what Jesus says. Anyone who will not leave father and mother is not worthy of me, ultimately. Kind of slaughtered the quote of it, but that's what he says. Okay? No one who has left father or mother or daughter or whatever it is, you know, will be rejected or... You know what I'm saying. So, I have to ask then. I know everybody thinks I'm, I, a lot of people, you know, in the community think I'm crazy because they think, I don't know, Brian's trying to be a Jewish or whatever. No, I'm not. I am a Jew. <laughs> I'm not trying to do anything. I am a Jew. Okay? Not that I am trying to take on the Jewish culture, though. And I do see that that is a danger that I see in some messianic organizations out there. They see that the Jewish culture is somehow holy. No, it's the Bible and God's word that is holy. And so just because the Jews do you know, certain things on the Sabbath or you know, they light this... Hey, if it's not in Scripture, that, you know, that's fine. It's a good tradition. That's fine. But... That's not what our faith is in. Our faith is in Yeshua, Jesus. That's the key. But I still have to ask then, why is it that the biblical Sabbath and the Lord's festivals are so foreign to the church today? Is there a wall of hostility that we have built back up again? Absolutely. And I can show you through church history exactly where that comes in. As we've said before, go look at Acts chapter 15, Acts chapter 21, Acts chapter 18 and 19. We see the church was Jewish. Acts 10, it's opened up by Cornelius. Acts 15, they have a big council and they say, hey, the Gentiles are coming in. They're going to go to the synagogue on every Sabbath. But we don't want to overburden them, so let's just say, you know, since they're going to hear the law every Sabbath, you do these four things. It was a Jewish church. And as early as 98 AD, we see some very anti-Semitic attitudes coming in. And it just grows from there all the way up to the time of Martin Luther, who basically said the exact same thing Hitler said. Go ahead and kill them, take their property, take their money, loss of life and limb. These odious, this odious people. And I could show you Church father after church father after church father saying those exact same things. We constructed 
the wall of hostility again, and we made a dual covenant. There is no dual covenant. There is one covenant, and that is Yeshua, the root. Period. We'll uh, pick up a little bit more on this next week um, as we're going to kind of... I can't remember if I finish next week or not. I think maybe two more weeks because of last week's thing I did different. But um, anyway, again, it is Jesus. That is what this is all about. We are grafted into him. You're not grafted into the Jewish culture. You're not grafted into a Jew. You're grafted into the root of Jesus. But that root is a Jew. And when Zechariah 8.23 says 10 men are going to grab onto one Jew by the hem of his robe, by the commandments of God, I think that one Jew is that root, Jesus. That's what he's saying. Not grabbing onto the guy downtown that you see with his black robe. All right, well, we'll close in prayer. Lord Yeshua, thank you so much for tearing down that wall of hostility, for welcoming us into your kingdom by accomplishing all for us when we could accomplish nothing. We thank you that you are the root and that through you we can produce fruit. We also pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a, a witness to those around us, especially to those who are of the circumcised but are not circumcised. That we would not consider them different, that we would not consider them uh, separate, and that we would certainly not boast over those branches that have been cut off, but rather we would seek to share the good news of who you are, the Messiah, to them. God, I am just humbled. As Ruth said, who am I? A foreigner. One who does not deserve to even be looked upon, let alone to have your grace be poured out upon me. I thank you for that, to be my kinsman redeemer. I pray this in the most holy name, the name of Yeshua Jesus. Amen.